Welcome to the first Dairy Dialogue podcast of 2019. It's only been a few weeks since the last one, but it already seems like months since the holiday season. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and as this is going out on January the 18th, may I be probably the last person to wish you a Happy New Year. Hope wherever you are that 2019 is a good year for you. I've definitely not made any resolutions, as I'd probably have broken every one of them already. I'm sure, like me, you've seen hundreds of articles online about the hot trends for 2019. Some of them made me laugh a little bit because in some ways it seems like it's not really about actual trends. It's more about coming up with something different to the trends that you came out with last year to make it look completely different. I'll start out this week with a bit of information on the website. Dairy Reporter's newsletter schedule has changed a little. We went from four newsletters a week to six temporarily, and now we're down to five, so one every day from Monday to Friday. And we do update the news online daily. Assuming there is news, that is. The Friday newsletter consists of this podcast, which is available on our website through the newsletter and on iTunes. We're always looking for people to talk to for the podcast, so if you do have any news you'd like to share, we'd be more than happy to talk to you about it. We like to cover all aspects of the dairy industry, and also from as many countries as we can to make this a truly global program. As a case in point, this week we have interviews from India on the growth of the vegan yoghurt alternative market, and New Zealand on traceability and scannable QR codes. Of course, it's also good to welcome back Liam Fenton from INTLFC Stone, who will update us on the weekly global dairy markets. So first off this week is India, where we have an interview with Fact MR research consultant Santosh Kumar about the market research company's latest report, which states that vegan yogurt alternatives have now hit the mainstream as opposed to being a trend, with almond-based products at the top of the list. I first asked about the size of the dairy alternative yogurt market and how quickly it's growing. The global uh, vegan yogurt market is estimated at uh, US dollar five billion in uh, 2018. And, uh, you know, it is projected to grow at a CAGR of uh, 5.9% uh, between 2018 and 2018. Is that globally or in any particular country that's global? It is, it is a global number. Okay. And, and which countries are seeing the biggest rise in vegan yogurt alternatives? As far as we can see now, China, Canada and U.S., uh, and Mexico are amongst the few key countries uh, that are registering higher growth as compared to other vegan uh, uh, yogurt consuming countries. Okay. Um, now, in the press release that was sent out, Al- Almond was noted as being the biggest product in the sector. Um, are all of the other dairy alternatives like soy and um, oat and other one, other alternatives, are they growing as well? Yes, uh, almond-based yogurt, uh, you know, stops the demand, uh, while uh, vegan yogurt with soy, coconut, and other alternatives are also registering growth uh, of varied magnitude. What kind, are we talking about just almond yogurt or are we talking about flavored yogurts as well? Because obviously 
there are strawberry, there's all kinds of different flavors that go into a base, is that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they come under uh, other uh, alternatives, other categories. Uh, so uh, the demand for uh, strawberry and other variants are, uh, you know, uh, a bit lower. What's popular in in different regions, like in Asia, is there is soy more popular than other products, or is it? You said it's pretty much the same across the world. No, uh, you know, uh, almond is uh, uh, quite popular uh, across the world. However, uh, uh, coconut uh, is uh, somehow more popular in uh, the Asian countries. What do you think are the the big trends in the vegan yogurt market? Uh, the three top trends that uh, we have uh, observed in this uh, genre of the market are. That vegan products, uh, the first one is the vegan products, including vegan yogurt, are finding their uh, listing in the menus of some of the few food chains across several countries, right? Uh, that includes U.S. and even uh, several European countries and some of the Af African countries. The second trend that we have observed is that uh, the demand is also increasing uh, due to charities uh, in several countries uh, who are adopting uh, vegan products. They are embracing uh, the vegan products uh, that includes uh, sports people and film stars. And they are encouraging their friends uh, to, uh, you know, adopt vegan-based uh, trend as well. It is not essentially that uh, uh, people are uh, switching to vegan products due to their lactose intolerance, but also due to the feeling of injustice that is caused to the animals with increasing consumption of dairy products. Right. So these are the key trends that we have observed in the uh, vegan uh, products. Are people buying dairy alternatives and, and dairy products, or is the dairy market shrinking as the vegan market grows? Yes, people are con consuming dairy products, and uh, you know it is uh, unlikely that the global demand for uh, dairy products will decline against uh, vegan uh, products at a global level anytime soon. Dairy products, you know, they make a, a huge proportion of the market of uh, this genre, right? Uh, do, uh, we have observed that the decline in demand of dairy-based products uh, has been observed in uh, some of the countries uh, like U.S. and Australia. Now we head to New Zealand to talk to Adrian Simmons, Managing Director of UK-based company Total Brand Security, about a new coating technology that enables smartphone scannable QR codes for FMCG products. I asked Adrian to give us a little bit of background first about the company. Yeah, well, it all started from, um, you know, our work. Uh, I used to work for a large 3M company, which is you know, we used to do a lot of the security pigments for, for banknotes and documents. That was in the 90s. And then uh, I started an MBA in um, Kellogg in north of Chicago and um, ended up writing a paper on, on what, what I could do different from those days, you know, from the security pigments. And I ended up doing a, the, the, the project was called Total Brand Security. And that was uh, about four or five years later, I started the company and we've been running it since. So that was, two, yeah, 2003, basically, we started the company. And then so we started off doing just protecting brands against counterfeiting and the parallel trade. So a lot to do with product authentication, 
is it authentic product or not? And then in the last 10 years, it's been much more around product tracking and tracing. Authentication, obviously, that's that's quite an issue in parts of Asia. Is that the same everywhere? Yes, it is definitely. It's all over the world, actually. You know, um, and over the many many years we've been in the market, we've really got to know, you know, got a good feel for which markets, which products are likely to do, you know, invest how much, because a lot of the brands are, you know, you can talk and talk and talk to your blue in the face, and they really don't want to do anything until you know, the house is burning, you know, <laughs> mm. or until they've been, you know, really badly copied or, you know, people have died because they took the wrong, the wrong pharmaceutical product. Often that's been the case, but in the dairy industry, we've been able to really find a nice niche solution for our customers. And uh, we were able to really be one of the first companies in the world to put variable coding that was smartphone scannable onto infant formula cans. And that was really the key to us getting going. And I, and I had looked at Fonterra in those days. Um, that was about oh, five, five years ago when they had the um, botulism scare. And the botulism scare basically made them really think about what they, what they need to do with respect to um, all of their traceability systems. We help them a little bit uh, as a, like in a consulting fashion to see and, and analyze what they could do. And then little by little, we've become now the sole supplier to solve their high-speed coding systems on their packaging. One of the issues always is how do you put variable codes with a high-resolution, high-speed onto a pack so that it's easy to scan for, you know, for, let's say parents for infant formula, which is hypersensitive. Well, you know, you can use inkjet, yes, but typically you don't get the resolution and the speed. And on metal, for example, it can be wiped off. So that was a bit of an issue. And then on um, other areas, like what they do now is they use ablation, which is removing the ink on the bottom of the can to create the contrast and reveal the underlying tin plate, you know, so you can scan that. That is somewhat problematic and um, it's because you, you create a lot of dust and you get a lot of rejects because actually the, the, the resulting image is not always readable. You know, what we've done is in fact, we've partnered with a UK company called DataLays and um, we have a, glo a global license to produce inks using their patented pigments. The beauty of those pigments are that they change color with laser. So you're not physically, you know, modifying the pack in order to create um, this image all you're doing is you're changing the color of the ink from normally white to black, but now we're developing it for others to change from blue to white at high speed. And what this does is it drastically increases the, the speed of marking, so they can mark at much higher speed and with a much higher resolution because the pulse rate of a laser is much, much higher than you can do with inkjet or with other types of printing. On a packaging line. So that's how we um, have convinced the likes of Fonterra. Fonterra the first proper one to, to get going with us. But now it is now uh, really catching on. Quite a leap ahead then. It is. It is. I mean, for Fonterra, they searched the world to try and find the best way to do it. And it turned out to be our UK company, together with the Data Lace solution, that was able to give these beautiful codes on the bottom of pack.
key advantage is basically Jim, they're, they're all related to making the code an integral part of the pack. It needs to be unable to be removed. It can't really be a label because the Chinese uh, authorities who now regulate that all infant formula packages have to have an individual QR code and as well as the best before date, they need to have all this information on each pack so that a parent can scan the, the, the pack either at point of sale or after they've bought it using WeChat and other apps. It's become now regulated that they have to do it. You know, the, the, the brands have to do it. And so what's the advantage for the end consumer? Well, the, the big advantage is that in China, parents can... Let's say the whole of the applications around consumer interaction are highly developed in China. I, I would say more developed than in most countries. And they can start to gain loyalty points, get a relationship, an intimate relationship with the brand. So that's a two-way road, basically. right? The, the brand wants to get in contact with consumers on an intimate level, on a one-to-one level, and that goes both ways. So on the one hand, the parent is convinced by scanning the code that the you know, product that's going to feed its infant is it in fact you know, legitimate, it's uh, within its best before date. And what we actually also supply, for example, is a picture of the can as it was produced. So they can look on their phone, they can see the picture on the, uh, they can hold the can, and they can actually compare both images. We also supply all of the, uh, the x-ray images related to that particular can. So what you're hearing, Jim, is that you get a lot of, once you start to put an individual code onto a pack, it's a little bit like you and I have a passport number. You know when you go through customs in a particular country, right? The authorities do. Well, it's the same for the brand. The brand can start to track each individual pack as it's filled on their own production line where they know it's, everything is correct. And they can link that unique identifier to all the other variables that relate to that pack. And what this means, you get a full track and trace system. So all the input materials can be linked to the pack. You can also have environmentals, for example, what's the temperature in the room, uh, the packaging room or the production line, uh, who was the operator on the production line. So you get a lot of security and a lot of traceability around each pack stored in the database owned by the brand. You know, for product recalls, you can be far more specific. You can um, fulfill also the regulatory uh, demands of China that say, yes, you know, you need to do that anyway. So you get a lot of advantages like that. So for the brand, you get all that input information. So the more people that scan the cans or the the packs, the more information the brand or like Fonterra or Nestle will get about how many times a particular pack was scanned, no, or you say how many packs have been scanned, in which country or which city, you know, because you get a bit of a, a GPS location once a, a can is scanned by, by smartphone. So you can say, okay, so many cans were scanned in, in Shanghai or in Beijing. They make it attractive for the parent to scan. And in return, they get a whole lot of information about what's happening in the market, not to mention the fact that you can see if one particular parent buys every two weeks a can, you can say on the sixth week or the fourth week and the sixth week, you can say, well, you know, we can give you maybe, you know, an extra discount or some extra products or whatever, right? So they can start to sell more 
on a one-to-one -one basis through the um, through the app. So it's a bit like individualized market research. It is, and basically for free. I mean, once the system's in place, the brand basically gets all this information coming back onto their server, and we help them do that as well. So those those brands that let's say are not savvy at database management, we have a whole software package that is uh, blockchain enabled that links all of these individual identifiers for packs to the other participants in the supply chain of the product. So once it leaves the factory or the, you know, the warehouse of the brand, it then gets shipped maybe up to China on a particular uh, container, on a particular boat, goes through customs in, in Shanghai, for example, then it clears customs, all these bits and pieces, all these different, let's say, uh, participants in the supply chain can be linked through to that unique identifier. And also the communication is 100% secure because it's, it's a, um, using the, the blockchain backbone of, of security. And as well as the safety aspect, do the companies also use it as an opportunity to tell stories and, and sort of sell in a social way? Definitely. So yes, the response page to the to the parent can go all the way. Basically, if you, if they if let's say Fonterra knows that that uh, milk powder for that particular lot number came from the region of the Waikato then they'll have a little map on the response page of that can to say, yes, this milk was farmed in this region of New Zealand. And that way they can, um, let's say, feed you know, valuable information back to the parent to make them feel better about the brand. And, and is there any indication as to the percentage of products that do get scanned? Yeah, it's still relatively low. It's normally under 10% so far. But you know, as time goes on, they make it more and more attractive for, for the consumers. Then um, that those numbers will increase. But it's around about 10% so far. The lack of trust that consumers have in food products these days is ever increasing. They want to know more about it. Was it grass-fed? Was it um, you know? Is it uh, still within its uh, best before date? And the other, I would say. Um, elephant in the room as well is the fact that packaging is becoming far more, it needs to become far more environmentally friendly. Those brands that are doing a lot of work in this direction, and some of them are doing a lot, right, to try and make their packaging far more uh, environmentally friendly. If you put a code on every pack, you can actually link that information that they've got in their database about the packaging also to the consumer, and they can also feel like they're doing a better, better thing for the environment because they know with the information that the, that the brand is giving them that their packaging is as ecological as it could be or whatever. You know, they, they can add, they can make a story around that side of it as well. And now it's time for our weekly look at the dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTL FC Stone. Butter moved a bit lower in futures this week. Uh, we had quarter trading around the 4550, 4600 level. Uh, we saw support within user buying, uh, though continuing, um, and some trade selling. 
However, processors have been uh, particularly slow in coming to the market so far. Cream, on the other hand, has been a lot weaker, trading at the 4850 level to 4900 level. Last week it was trading closer to the 52-5300 level. Bot liquid milk has seemingly also been trading lower um, as everybody has come back now from from uh, New Year's Christmas holidays. Gimmel powder, on the other hand, has uh, definitely be, had a stronger week, uh, quarter two trading close to the 2000th level. However, volumes have been low uh, with a lack of sellers in the market as, as the industry seems to be nervous of the upside. There continues to be strong demand from Asia, Middle East, Europe. Purchasers have had the, the advantage over the last 18 months of having prices coming lower due to a large stock of intervention product. They just sit there and prices come towards them. However, um, as this stock has been sold, we've gone from like around just under 500,000 tonnes to 25,000 tonnes over the last year. We don't have that overhang anymore and uh, that isn't way on prices. We has been trading closer to the 880 level on, on physical, uh, which is a good bit stronger also. Okay, thanks a lot, Liam. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's all for this week. Please join us again next week when we'll have an interview with Israeli company Yofix and a couple of interviews from our reporter Beth Newhart, who was at the Winter Fancy Food Show, which just took place in San Francisco. Or it may change over the next week. You never know. Thanks for listening. <laughs>